All right, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. Turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Appreciate all the men that come out last night, and of course the food that was sent in as well. Appreciate that very much. We made some progress, and um, we'll probably have to have another work day, work night next week as well, maybe one after that yet. Um, We'll see. All right, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained to Joash the Bezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of? Say, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. Thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So now we're looking at Gideon and the conquest of futility. Of futility. Do you ever feel like, what's the use? There's no hope. Well, leave us where Gideon was. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word tonight. I pray that we be encouraged and help us to realize there's always hope. As long as there is God. As long as As long as we have life and breath, there is hope. So, Lord, I pray you should help us tonight understand. Give us wisdom, encouragement, strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Gideon asks the Lord a couple of questions. Okay, so why is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles? Well, where be all his miracles? Go to Mark chapter 6 for just a minute. Mark chapter 6. Verse 1. He went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, they're not saying, oh, wow, this is the carpenter's son. Ain't this just the carpenter's son? It's like... Who does he think he is? That's kind of the attitude of these people. They weren't saying this in reverence or honor. 
You know, they were offended at him, it says. All right? Jesus said unto them, verse 4, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And notice verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. See, these people, this isn't Nazareth, his hometown, these people hindered the work of God, the power of God being demonstrated in their own presence because of their unbelief. Their unbelief. And of course, you know, Gideon's, the answer to Gideon's question is, is really found in chapter 2, verses 7 through 15. Chapter 2 of Judges, verses 7 through 15, where it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. They buried him in the board of his inheritance in Timnath Heres, in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gesh. And all those also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after him, them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And and of course, you know, chapter six, the early part of the chapter uh, again, they had, they had, they were in this case because of their their turning away from God, and you know when you turn away from God, you're serving a what kind of a God? A God that isn't God, isn't a God. You know, Paul said to the when he wrote to the Corinthians, you know, there really really is one God. All the others are just works of men's hands. That's all they are. They're dead. They have no life. They have no power. They can't do miracles. So when, when Gideon says, where be all these miracles? He needed to look at himself and his people among whom he dwelt. The condition, of course, that he finds himself in is deplorable. You know, they're in, they're in straits. He's a farmer. He's threshing wheat. And he's hiding because of the Midianites. Because the Midianites just come up like grasshoppers for a multitude. And they just come into the land and camp. And they took everything that they saw. Whether it was animals, grain, whatever it was that was, that was uh, uh, usable or that they could eat or consume, they took it. And the children of Israel just seemed powerless to do anything about it. And so if you wanted to keep some food, you hid it. And that's where Gideon is. But this is the result of them compromising and appeasing and dwelling with the enemy instead of driving them out. Uh, habits, sins, associations not dealt with become pricks in our sides. Your present distress proclaims their failure. So, you know, Gideon's at this place where there is no hope. It's futile. And so when we come to that place where we give up on our own ways and our own understanding, it is then that God can work. When you're ready to quit relying on yourself, 
and your own strength. You know, Paul thought he could Saul. Saul of Tarsus thought he could serve God in his own strength, in his own way. And he was doing that. He genuinely thought he was serving God by persecuting the church of God. When he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, then he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was ready to give up. You know, one of the things the Lord said to him, remember, was it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know, it's hard to go against what is right. But when we're ready for that, there's a few things that need to take place. There needs to be a setting and order of things in life. Notice chapter 6 here of Judges, verses 25 through 27. And it came to pass the same night the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of the frock, in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer the burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had said unto him, and so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. Gideon, if you're going to serve me, if you're going to be a leader for me, there's some things you've got to set in order. Your family has this altar to Baal, and it must go. We can't serve God and mammon. That's what the New Testament says, and that's what the Lord's really saying. Look, you can't serve Baal and me at the same time. That altar's got to go. It's got to go. Burn it. Really, that's what he told him to do. Burn it. Burn that bullock on it and burn it. Destroy it. Now, this required some real faith on Gideon's part. And, of course, the Lord understood that. And he told him to do it by night um, for fear of the men so that, so that he could do it without being, without opposition in the act. He knew there was going to be opposition afterwards. Well, he expected it anyway. And there was. So it required great, great faith on Gideon's part. He had to put his trust in the Lord because he was putting his life at risk. You know, that's, that's what the Lord wants of us. In 1 Kings 17, 13, you know, the, uh, when Elijah went to the widow at uh, uh, Seraphath, um, and, of course, she only had a handful of meal and a barrel of oil and a cruise, enough to make a cake for her and her son and die, and, and, and Elijah says, you make one for me first, and then for you and your son. For the Lord says, the barrel of meal shall not waste. And the cruise will not run out. That's not, that's not an exact quote. But you, know, you, need to, you need to show your dependence upon the Lord. You have to set some things in order. False gods must be destroyed. Um, and so they need, he needed to, to cleanse his own house. He needed to set things in order in his own life. It meant, of course, dying to self, risking his own life. Notice verse 28. When the men of the city rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. 
And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon the son of Joash hath done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son, that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will you plead for Baal? Will you save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death, whilst it is yet morning, if he be a god. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore in that day he called him Drubble, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. You know, God expects us to put our life on the line for him. That's what he asks of us. To put our life into his hand and allow him to direct it. And that's really what Gideon is doing here. He's putting his, his life into the hand of God. God had made him a promise that he was going to deliver the Midianites. Therefore, based upon that promise, he was going to do whatever God said. He was willing to do whatever God said, even if it meant risking his life. After all, it doesn't make sense that God said, you're going to deliver the Midianites, and then you're going to be killed because you destroy this idol that I tell you to destroy. That don't make sense. That'd be a contradiction. See, he was willing to take God at his word. Even though it meant risking his own life. Matthew, of course, 16, verse 25 says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. You know, this, this, this uh, continued uh, in chapter 7, verses 4 through 8. Again, we see an example of Gideon doing this. In chapter 7, verse 4, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. It shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. By the way, he's got 10,000 at this point. He started out with 32,000. The Midianites were as grasshoppers for multitude, the Bible says. Chapter 6, verse 5. And he's got 10,000 now. And God says, you got too many. To get the victory, you got too many. Now, I don't know about you, but those figures don't, don't go very well. You know? I think I'd have been arguing. And so he gives them some instructions on what to do. In verse 5, so he brought the people down to the water, and the, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth him, shalt thou set aside by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. So they scooped up the water. Where it is. Three hundred. And there were nine thousand three hundred, or seven hundred, that just got down and drank right out of the brook. Now, if I would have been the general, I said, you know, surely those ones that got down and drank out of the brook, not the ones that went like this. <laughs> but God said, no, those 300.
And then in verse 7 it says, The Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the midnights into thine hand and let all the other people go every man to his own place. So the people took vittles in their hand and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man under his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. So again, you think about this. From a human standpoint, he's putting his life at great risk. He, he, he's believing what God has said and keeping the 300, and he sent the others home. You know, by human standards, we would say Gideon just lost his army. He's defeated before he starts. But again, verse 7, by the 300 men that lap will, it's a key word here, it's got one letter, I, I will save you. It's not you, Gideon. Again, if you do it, it will be futile. But if I do it, of course, this is evidence of a yielded heart, a heart yielded to God. Uh, you know, Ephesians 4 tells us that we need to be yielded to the Spirit of God. And so, these are the things. And I want you to notice a couple other things we see here. In, in chapter 6, um, in verse 14, it says, And the Lord looked upon him and said. Now, the Lord addresses Gideon in verses 12 and tells him, calls him, you know, tells him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And and that's when he, the, he asked those questions. Well, then, if the Lord's with us, why is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles? And, and so on. And it says, the Lord looked upon him. The word looked is important. Because it really means that he turned towards. Turned towards with favor, and with power. Let me give you some illustrations. In execu- execu- executive. Exodus 2, 24. And Jake, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Chapter 4, verse 31 says, Exodus 4, 31, And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. You see, the idea here is, okay, God is looking toward us. His eye is toward us. That means he is going to now help us. He's going to deliver us. 1 Samuel 1, verse 11, Hannah and she bowed of Allah and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid 
and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but we'll give unto thine handmaid a man child. Then we'll give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. So there shall no razor come upon his head. And of course, we know that he looked upon Hannah on her affliction. And he gave her a man child. That man child was Samuel. He looked to Israel. 1 Samuel 9, 16. Tomorrow by this time will I send a man to thee a man out of the land of Benjamin. Thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. You know, Isaiah 62, or 66, 2 says, For all these things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. You see, Gideon's now at this place where to him his strength is futile. He has not. There isn't anything he can do. It's sort of like he's in a, between a corner, a rock and a hard place. And he has nowhere to turn. He's broken. He admits it. Notice what he says. My family is poor in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. I'm just a nobody. I don't have any, I don't have a reputation. I don't have any class distinction in society. I have nothing that makes me stand out amongst the crowd. You know, I don't have anything going for me. What can I do? The Lord basically says, yeah, I know, you're just the man I want. (laughs) See, God can't use the man that says, oh, I can do it. He's looking for the man who will say, Lord, I can't. Can you? See, but to this man will I look, even to him that is of poor and contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. And when the Lord commanded Gideon to cut down that altar and burn it, he did it. When the Lord commanded Gideon to send those 9,700 home, he did it. He did it. In Judges 5.9, after the battle with uh, Hazel, uh, the Lord said, My heart is toward the governors of Israel that offered themselves willingly among the people. So we need to offer ourselves willingly and have the Lord look toward us. Toward us. You see, life is not futile. It's not hopeless. Simply because God, I know this ain't great English, simply because God is. You know, Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, the prophet told Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. You know, David was said to be a man after God's own heart. He had a heart to please God. That was his desire. That's what the Bible tells us. You know, it says of Solomon that he was 
that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect toward the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. You know, David had some strange wives too, but they never turned his heart away, and David never built high places for any of his wives that were heathen. He never did it. There were no false gods in David's kingdom, but there was in Solomon's. And four times in the scriptures, the Lord uses these words. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. Now, David went some places he shouldn't have went. He went to Achish. Remember that? Almost ended up having to fight with his own people. But the Lord delivered him. Now, it wasn't without some consequences. He had some loss because of it. That's when the Malachites burnt sick lag and took all his wives and his children and they had to go after and rescue them. But, but despite all that, you know, you know, even though he suffered some hardships, the Lord preserved David with us wherever he went because his heart was perfect toward the Lord. So he was preserved. Is it wonderful to know that the Lord says of us in Jude one one that we are preserved in Jesus Christ and called? If we are a child of God, we are preserved in Him. We are kept by the power of God. Life is not futile. Life is not hopeless. Because there is God. You see, life was hopeless and futile to, to Gideon because, and, and the Israelites because they had all these altars to Baal. Who is no God? He can't do anything. And when we turn away from God, there is no hope. We lose hope. You see, through God, we obtain his promise. If you notice again in verse um, 16, chapter 6, verse 16. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites of the man. Now, here's an interesting thing. Almost the whole verse, over half of that verse is one Hebrew word. Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite is one Hebrew word. It's translated into our English Bible, smite, 348 times. Slay, 92. Kill, 20. Beat, 9. Slaughter, 5. Wounded, 3. Strike, 2. And stripes, 2. Now you think about those words. Gideon and the 300 men smote the Midianites. They killed them. They slayed them. They killed them. He took, he took some briars and thorns and beat the men at Succoth and taught them a lesson. He put stripes on You see, God was saying, Gideon, look, I will be with thee and I will do a thorough job through you. 
I will complete the task. What the Lord has begun, he that hath begun a good work in you, what? Will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to complete the task. Our redemption of this body is going to be a reality one day. We have this expectation. We have this hope. Life is not futile because we have this hope in Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. <clears throat> Hebrews 6 verse 17 says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed by an oath. Now, the word immutable means unchanging. It's not susceptible to change. It doesn't change. That by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into, the, entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunners for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The fact that Jesus has gone to heaven preceding us, and we have this immutable promise in, in which it's impossible for God to lie. And we have this refuge, this consolation, this hope. And you know, the measure of your hope is determined by what your hope is set on. You know, some people tell me things that I hope is going to come to pass. But it depends on who it is. Where my level of expectation of it happening is. You know, I've had, I've had, you know, you go out on visitation. Sometimes you have somebody say, oh, yeah, we'll come to church. And you'll walk away thinking, we'll see. We'll see. Now, if you lived in Maine and they told you they were coming to church, it's likely they're going to come. Because if they weren't going to come, they just tell you. But now, if, if, if you told me something, compared to somebody out there that told me they were going to come to church, if you told me something, I'd more expect it's going to happen. But when God says, it's impossible for me to lie, and by two immutable things, things that cannot change, he swears on it. We can rely on it. It is going to happen. Our redemption is drawing nigh. The redemption of this body. We have that blessed hope, that expectation. And it rests on God that is immutable, does not change. And he has the power to bring it to pass. Just as you know, Gideon, Gideon put his rested in God's word. He believed that God had the power to bring to pass what he said. Even if it was only 300 men against the whole multitude of grasshoppers. See, it changed Gideon's perspective almost overnight. It went from it's just futile. There's nothing I can do. 
I'm just going to wring your hands. Nothing I can do. Just going to hide here and keep threshing wheat and hope that they don't see me. To, I'm going to take these 300 men with pitchers and I'm going to surround the whole camp with the Midianites. Maybe 50, 60, 70,000. I don't know how many there was. And he believed that God was going to give him the victory. Now, did he know how it was going to happen? I doubt it. But he believed it was. He believed it so much he sent 9,700 home. That's over 95% of his army went home. And it all goes back to that one Hebrew word in which there's, what, seven, eight English words. Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites. Notice he said, as one man. You see, life is not futile when there's God. If there's God in your life, there's always hope. There's always, there's always uh, a bright future based on the promises of God. We just need to be willing to trust and rest in those promises and act on them. Even if we don't understand how it's going to end up or how it's going to come to pass, we need to simply act on them, believing what God has said He is able to perform.